0: And now that I reflect on it, my life may as well be like yours. It has everything. It has family, success, dreams, along with failure and disappointment. But I think something that stops us nowadays is the fact that we hit a barrier and we just stop. I think we can keep going past that barrier. Because, you know, whatever we do has multiple paths. And my destination, our destinations, have different avenues that we can pursue. So if you're open to using failure as a tool to educate yourself, if you're open to learning and adapting, you're opening yourself up to the reality of change.
1: Welcome to EcoAlarm, the podcast where we break down the major factors affecting the environment and explore what we can do to help. I'm your host, Imani.
2: And I'm your host, Bo, and today's topic is Athletic Gear Recycling.
1: So, Bo, did you know that the budget for low-income public schools' athletic departments range from just $100 to $1,000 per year?
2: No, but this makes me question the quality of athletic gear and the struggles these student-athletes face.
1: Yeah, and what makes it even more ridiculous is that annually, every American wastes 1 million pounds of material.
2: And this waste leaks into our ground, generates CO2 emissions, and pollutes our oceans. If Americans recycle properly, these waste numbers could be cut in half.
1: Yeah, and this isn't even just trendy jeans and t-shirts. Think about all the shoes and athletic equipment that gets tossed after just a single sports
2: season. Our guest today, Russo, had the same question after doing research and discovering the inequality in access to athletic gear which is why he founded soul to soul a nonprofit whose mission is to provide athletic shoes to low-income youth, promote sustainability, and advocate for healthy lifestyles.
1: Russell started soul to soul when he was only 15, and we have him here today not only as our guest, but as our researcher for this podcast.
2: Hi, Russo. It's great to have you here today. Hello. It is my speaker. <laughs> yeah, just to start off, um, do you mind telling us what is so to so um, why'd you start it and how did you get other parties involved like your employees and schools
0: yeah yeah so so to soul um, is a nonprofit that promotes sustainability and healthy living through the reuse and repurpose of athletic shoes and um, I started it because I've been a runner all my life and I've been surrounded by constant waste from my fellow athletes who after a season of running would grab their shoes, throw it away and buy a new pair, which is perfectly fine. But at the same time, like when you look at the locker room, like mountains and mountains of shoes would be left and it it gets to the point where like, it's ridiculous. So combined with that and the issues that face our environment concerning resources and, and waste, I thought about a project that I could work on that would bridge that gap and connect both of those worlds together, which is how I started Soul to Soul. I got other parties involved, like schools and businesses involved by pitching that idea of how we can empower the youth to practice sustainability and also empower them to improve their own mental and physical well-being through the simple sport of running. And so a lot of people like the idea. I (laughs) I talked to my school. I virtually eliminated their waste problem in the locker rooms. And yeah, I got more kids out to run and just do sports in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And I'm kind of curious, though, like, why did you start, you know, full-blown nonprofit rather than just like a school club or something like that?
0: Yeah, no, that was definitely on the radar. Honestly, go big or go home. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> uh, when I started it, I had the intention of making it a lot more broad than what a club would give. And there's nothing wrong with a club per se, but with the mission that I was trying to achieve, it required more than a club. And you might be wondering, what do you mean mission? So as far as accessibility goes, there's not a lot of need in the U.S. Okay, there's still people that live in poverty in this country, but it's not parallel to third world countries like the Philippines, Kenya, Nigeria, Mexico. And so when you look at those countries and you look at those youth, they have more of a need for basic necessities that we take for granted here at school or here in the US, right? So, I mean, those mountains of shoes that I saw in the locker room, it's terrible to say this, but it's the reality of our world. That would be like a delicacy to kids in a neighborhood in the Philippines, who, by the way, I've met kids that have no idea what a shoe is. And so you can imagine how ridiculous that sounds, but it's true. And so I wanted to start a full-fledged nonprofit to make that reach. And there are a lot of barriers that a nonprofit would be able to break down, whether it be in legalities or um, just reputation, but essentially that's why I started it as a nonprofit. Yeah, that's great to hear. So you started a nonprofit with your
2: siblings, correct? Yep, yeah. Yeah, so how's that like, um, you know,
0: having your employees as your family? Yeah. just a a quick background on that. I'm the youngest of four. So, you know, you can kind of understand like the power dynamic there. I'm usually somebody that gets bossed around by my siblings and then it it does a full 180 and now I'm their boss in the nonprofit. So it definitely has its pros and cons. I mean, some days they'll be like, why are you telling me to do this? other days they'll understand the work and they'll get it done. And to put it bluntly, there's no BS. Like I know what you're doing. I live with you. So you have to get it done. So, you know, it comes with its pros and cons, but it's been working for us for the past five years. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, working with family is always interesting. Yeah, Me and my family have a farm in North Carolina and those meetings are always interesting with family (laughs) dynamics coming in and fights and stuff. But anyway, I'm a little curious though, because there's a lot of these like donation-based, nonprofits and stuff. So why do you feel like soul to soul is different from any other, you know,
0: nonprofit? Yeah, so I think we briefly touched on this before. But in the world of like, philanthropy, community work, you'll find that there's not a lot of competition per se, but a lot of room for partnerships and like teaming up. So but I guess I could say like the x factor that makes soul to soul different is that we give with a purpose. And so a lot of these like donation based nonprofits will give like party in need, like a resource, right? Say, say maybe like clothes. Let's, let's just take, for example, a nonprofit gives people clothes, but they'll stop there. With Soul Solo, what we do is we give them shoes, but we also remind them that they can use this shoe to empower themselves and to practice sustainability even further in their lifestyles. So I would say, and this is our motto, We give with a purpose, and that purpose being to empower our youth.
1: You want to expand a little bit more about, you know, how you do that?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. So when we give a a shipment of shoes, it's not enough that we just send shoes over. Uh, I meet with kids. I talk to them. COVID has negatively impacted that, right? So, I mean, um, the last few shipments I can think of, I've had to call. I've had to Zoom. And I educate them on what sustainability is. And I teach them about what a shoe is made out of and what their impact is on their environment by choosing to accept and use that shoe. And so there's like a lot that goes into that. But you realize that the impact in that is a lot grander than you may think because you have kids here that think that they have minimal impact on their world. They think that their actions are insignificant. No one would ever listen to them. No one would ever believe that they could have a positive impact on anything, which is terrible, by the way. But then you you give them this shoe, a simple shoe, and you remind them that that's not true, that they can do what they desire to do, that they can make positive social change. So, you know, in a loop, that's what it is.
2: That's great to hear. Yeah, I'd I'd like to just get into more details about um, what you do, how so-to-so works. So would you mind going more into the vetting process for shoe donations? And for example, what people donate, what they should not donate, and what do you do with the shoes that don't meet the requirements?
0: Yeah, so on our website, we have a form that donors can look at to kind of think about all the qualities that they should consider when donating a shoe. Typically, the the main areas are exterior, interior, the grip of the shoe, if there's any odor and the laces. If you can tell me that those parts of the shoe are, are fine, are reusable, then usually we can take the shoes in. And so what our vetting process looks like is we uh, take shoes in from donors, community centers, schools, organizations, whoever, we ask that they vet the shoes themselves. But sometimes that's that's not possible. And a a scenario like that is like collecting shoes from a locker room, right, you can't do all those shoes. So we do it ourselves, we check each quality. And in the five years that we've been running, there have been maybe three or four pairs of shoes that I have found that cannot be used. So We don't find ourselves throwing away uh, um, shoes from shipments, but in the event that we did find those shoes, we donate it to um, Nike, a Nike factory, because Nike has a program where they uh, take shoes of any brand, excluding spikes, of course, and cleats and all that. They take shoes from any brand and they recycle it to, A, make their own product, because Nike has like a line of products that are sustainably made, or B, they make tracks and playgrounds with shoes. And so that's kind of like the process of what our operations look like.
1: And that was really interesting about Nike, because I personally haven't heard about it. I mean, probably need to advertise that a little more. But kind of going back to donations and stuff, are there any like, you mentioned international, but in terms of the domestic market if there's any interest in that or any challenges with international versus domestic donations
0: yeah so for both donations both types of donations there's each poses like their own unique obstacle international is so expensive <laughs> it's crazy it's oh my gosh they break the bank every time but with international you need to like list all the goods you need to weigh all the boxes, put a description in. you need to like put like trading values on each and every shoe that you send out, which is just terrible. It's a pain, but, and, but you know that like when you donate internationally, they will use it. They will want it domestically. It's a lot easier, right? Cause it's, it's within the country, but it's hard to find communities that actually need shoes and so on. As far as like transportation services, as far as like getting the, the, the shoes from point A to point B, it's not that hard, but it's a matter of like who really wants it and who really needs it.
2: Yeah. So we briefly touch on how, you know, the value of giving shoes to these kids, um, what it means to them and how it can inspire someone at a young age to know that they can make a difference too. And I think I found it equally inspiring that you started a nonprofit from such an early age. So I just want to get more into it. So what are some of the challenges you run into when you first
0: started and stuff like that? Yeah, so whenever you're starting anything, it's it's gonna be very important that you understand that you are going to be put in a position where people will ask you if you know something and you won't know anything. So I think the greatest challenge for me was knowing knowing the ins and outs of a nonprofit knowing how to establish it knowing what what the heck a 501c3 is right how to file it right because i hate the irs man don't quote me but it's just like knowing all that and making it happen and so literally the summer before my freshman year of high school i went on google i searched up how to start a nonprofit So many people don't take that first step because they think that, oh, I won't learn anything from that, but you will. Right. And so, so it's like learning to adapt and educate yourself. But the the other barrier is running into people that won't believe in you. And when I say people, I mean, your friends, I mean, your family, I mean, your classmates, investors, there's going to be people that look at your organization that look at what you're doing and say look you can't do it it's not going to work stop trying and so for me for uh, soul to soul i always bring this up because man it feels good our first group of investors that we pitched to told us told us they told us that our uh, mission was too broad that we could not go internationally we could not educate any type of youth and that we needed to reevaluate what we were doing that was a slap in the face but that slap kind of felt good when we sent our first shipment of shoes to kenya to a community in nairobi kenya 24 pairs of shoes talk to the the organization talk to the kids wonderful people amazing we made it happen and so it's kind of just like looking at a situation realizing that you are going to get a lot of people that, that do a lot of this that talk a lot but to just keep going. And as a high school student, right now, that's a simple lesson, right? I mean, we all, we've all we all had situations where we had to keep going. But as a high school student, for me, that was hard to come by because I even had people telling me that I, I started a nonprofit for Cloud. It got to that point and it's ridiculous, but you just got to keep going. Got to keep educating yourself and being okay with not knowing everything.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, always a big lesson that you know you hear over and over again, but then once you're actually in it, it's a whole different story. Um, not to bring the RRS back into this, but um, if they're watching, please stop. But um, <laughs> you mentioned about kind of the legal bits and starting at such a young age, I'm sure like that was a big thing where you were like, I don't know what's going on here. So do you wanna talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, yeah, so I don't know why. Our country does this. But whenever you file anything, it is a maze to figure it out. You have to find the correct forms to file. You have to make sure that, like, all your financials are recorded. And they make you, like, look for it. And it's terrible because, oh, the U.S. is such a great country. Then why can't I find the proper filing um, form to put in, right? And so I think when I first started um, working with the legalities of sol to sol I had to ask for help from business mentors I had in Oakland to really help me navigate it because there was no way I was gonna do that on my own. And like, they gave me a lot of insight, but for the most part, it was on me to figure out what we needed to do. I've had a lot of people ask me like what it's like to file for a nonprofit. And essentially, if you know what you're doing, if you know your mission, and if you know what it will cost to make that mission happen, you can fill out the form, but like doing it at first was pretty rough. My siblings, they offered little help because they didn't know a lot themselves. So it just sucked. <laughs> I don't I don't know where else to go. I mean, uh, it's great if you do it. You know, you learn a lot, but it sucked.
2: Yeah, no, but for <clears throat> anybody listening to this, um, especially kids who want to make a difference like you did, good thing is we have resources like Google. You mentioned that being 15, you just, you know, typed in how to start a nonprofit on Google and that's kind of how you got started. So yeah, so I guess we touch on a lot of what you've done in the past few years and it sounds like it must be in a journey and I was just wondering where do you see so so go in the future, near future, or, you know, a long-term.
0: Right, right. So for the five years that we've been established, we've been a family nonprofit, meaning that our team has been typically small. We've taken volunteers left and right, but no broad expansion on our team. So the next steps of soul to soul is to expand that, expand our reach and um, talk to high schoolers of different high schools in the country to see if they can replicate our model and practice sustainability in their communities. A nonprofit like Soul to Soul it has not a lot of impact if you can't have people replicating it. So our mission is to do just that. Have people look at this model, look at their own communities, and put the two and two together. And so that's the next step for us. We're expanding partnerships locally with homeless shelters. We are still doing international shipments, but we want to put a lot of more priority on local work and national work. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I I think that a lot of young people will really be interested in this. I know that I was, and I know that some of my classmates were. So expanding there and also even expanding in the USC. Uh, Something that I am working on right now is, um, have both of you been on campus? I have. I don't know about you, Bo. I have not, unfortunately. Okay. No, that's fine. A lot of things are like easing down, but like as things are easing down, their gyms are starting to open up. And what I did was I talked to like the rec center guy. I was like, Hey, like you must have old equipment that you're just throwing away. Is this true? And he said, yeah, they do. They have old dumbbells. They have old mats that they're throwing away. And so for the sake of practicing sustainability and pushing the youth and people to exercise, um, I'm working on connecting that, the rec center and homeless shelters around LA to see if they would be interested in accepting equipment. Because what I have found is that doing a sport, exercising, can serve as like a healing uh, process for many. I, I can attest to that. And so that that's currently what I'm doing as far as USC is concerned.
1: Yeah, and that's great. I mean, is that kind of going to be a part of Soul to Soul or is this like a separate endeavor?
0: Uh, it, it is part of Soul to Soul. Um, I would say it's grouped in there. I, I really want to get the ground, hit the ground running when uh we're all hopefully back which maybe by the time this is released, we are. So fingers crossed. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah,
1: I and mean, that's all we can be at this point, you know,
0: <laughs> with
1: everything going on. Um, But yeah, that should kind of wrap up our interview for today. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the time that we had here. If anyone is interested in donating any shoes, just go on our website, soul.xyz. Also check out Eco Alarm. Eco Alarm is great and it'll give you a great listen. Love Eco Alarm.
2: Yeah, it was definitely shocking to hear the amount of shoes that go to waste every year, especially perfectly good, you know, athletic equipment. And I think in contrast, as Russell mentioned, there are unfortunate kids in this world and other countries, too, that you know don't even know what a shoe is. And that's a very shocking and sad reality. So I'm glad Russell is doing something to change that. And there are other programs like Nike that are pulling resources to combat this issue.
1: Yeah, and it just goes to show that there's so many different ways to approach this issue of waste, and even just, you know, specifically shoes. I was also really interested when he was talking about that whole gym waste program. I thought that's another thing, you know, maybe shoes is more, you know, you can throw away your shoes and see how often that happens. But even with gym equipment, that's something that we don't really see very often and that he had to go and ask you know you can make the assumption that that happens but you know you don't really see gyms throwing it away right in front of your eyes but it's definitely a big area
2: yeah definitely i like to just point out that you know russell is inspiring in the way that he started so young i think he started when he was 15 and 16 and There are a lot of ways for young people to get involved on issues like this. And it is definitely possible, very feasible to make a change.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's about not to quote Nike or anything, but just doing it and starting. And even if you don't know everything, you're right at the start. I mean, even with this podcast is a great example of that, of just starting something and learning along the way. And I think that's the biggest message that we want to get out to our viewers. So yeah, that's kind of wraps up this episode. If you want more information about the podcast, EcoAlarm, and how to support Soul to Soul, you can follow our Instagram and Facebook at Eco Alarm Podcasts. Also feel free to follow Russell and his social media at Soul to Soul 2017 on all social medias. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can't do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good that you can do. Bye guys.